you want to uh, turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in Micah chapter 6. We're just going to read a few verses right there to begin, and then we'll go right into our topic this morning. I, I, I want to thank you as a church. I've been here close, almost four years now. Next month, first Sunday in February, will be four years that I've been here. And for some of y'all, it might seem like 10 minutes underwater. That might be what it feels like to you. Uh, to me, it's amazing. I was talking with someone the other day, and I was just sharing that, you know, four years we've been here, and yet it, it feels like we've just been here months. At times, it feels like we've been here just a matter of months, and, and it has flown by. And that's a good thing in, in, in any, anywhere you are. That's a good thing. But uh, certainly in church work, because that's not always the case. And I have pastor friends that have been through challenges where it's just constantly a fight and a struggle. And we have not experienced that here. We're very thankful for that. Um, I don't know how I got on that. Where was I going with that? We're going to read a few verses and we're going to get started. Um, oh, I was going to say thank you. I was, that's what I started with. Well, thank you. Thank you for, for that. But thank you for uh, your patience and... and uh, you know, I've been in ministry a long time, but this is my first time being a senior pastor, so I'm learning on the ropes, and I'm trying to be a better communicator, and uh, I don't apologize for a long sermon. I don't apologize that it's long. I just, I, I just promise you, I try to boil it down as much as I can. Now, I'm just going to tell you the topic this morning, and, and what I have, it may be on the long side, and you're like, shut up and get going so you can get through it, but um, I say that because... You know, like even this morning, I, I could probably preach three or four weeks with the material, what all is available to, for us to look at. So I've tried to condense this as much as I can, and, and it's, a, it's an issue that I really feel that is a, is a dangerous issue for we as the church in our response to it. How do we handle this? What is our approach? How do we view it? What, part, what side of this issue do we take? Where do we go? But we always want to go back and look at it from the scriptural standpoint. And we, so some are going to go instantly. He's pre preaching politics again. And I just promise you, I'm not preaching politics. Uh, I'm going to preach. We're going to look at this issue. And I, I would really classify this morning more than preaching. I hope maybe it's a teaching time. And uh, it'll be an insightful time for you as the body of Christ as we look at this, this issue. And all right, so you don't know what it is yet, and you're all wondering now, what is he going to talk about? Um, uh, I'm going to talk about amillennial. No, I'm kidding. We're not there. I'm going to talk about social justice this morning, okay? The topic is social justice. And it's, uh, it's, if you have not heard that word, you've been living under a rock. And if you have not, if, and if you've heard it in a proper context of what social justice uh, should be, then, then, you're living under a rock because what we hear in our public today is all a perverted form and it's, it, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's, let's, um, I want to read some scripture here in Micah and just let the Lord lay the foundation here in these first few verses of what we're going to do. Okay. So Micah chapter six, verses one through eight says now, says here now what the Lord says, arise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint. And you strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you, and how have I wearied you? Testify against me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage, and I sent, you before, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember now that Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil, Shall I bring my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And here in verse 8, he says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? And we're going to look this morning at this idea of, of justice and justice and, and social justice. And so let's ask the Lord's blessing on this time. Father, thank you again for this time together. And I pray now that you'll just 
Lord, give insight, give wisdom, guide my thought and my speech. Lord, you know what I've prepared prayerfully. I pray if there's anything, Lord, that you don't want me to share, that you would, uh, Lord, just bind my mouth. And uh, if there's anything, Lord, I need to share that's not here, I pray that, God, you would uh, bring it to my mind and prompt me to share. So, Lord, just you take control now. And, Father, may we learn this morning. Uh, may we be able to understand this issue better uh, from a biblical standpoint of where we should be as believers so bless now, and we'll thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. So we're talking about justice, and here's the thing. God demands justice, amen? God, justice, it, it, for, for us as believers, justice is not optional. In fact, for non-believers, justice is not optional. God is a God of justice, and it is not optional. It's required, and it's required from his followers. In fact, injustice is sin. When there's something that's injustice, it's sin. So justice is a law of God issue and a heart issue. When we're talking about justice, you've got to go back to the Word of God. It is a law of God issue, and it is a heart issue. How do we approach these things? So justice is important to God. It's very important. And listen, if it is important to God, it should be important to us. If justice is sin, then we should be very concerned with justice. Therefore, if social justice is justice, if that's the case, if social justice in the, in the public realm today of what we're hearing, in public discourse on social justice, if that is justice and injustice is sin, then we must be about the business of social justice. Now, some say social justice is an essential part of the gospel. And if we don't understand that it's a part of the gospel, then we don't have the true gospel at all. There are people that will say that. And then others will say that we, we, we have, have never had the gospel until we understand social justice. Now, on the other hand, John MacArthur said that social justice is the most dangerous issue the church has faced in his lifetime. Now, that's a strong and a sobering statement coming from John MacArthur. Now, using a quote from the book, or I'm sorry, from the movie, The Princess Bride. How many of you have seen that? Okay, great movie. Um, but using a quote from that movie uh, in reference to social justice, Vody Balcom says this. He says, you keep using that word. I don't think you mean, or I don't think it means what you think it means. That's what Balcom says. He loves that quote. He also said that justice does not need an adjective. Justice is justice. So who would ever reject social justice? Now, we wouldn't reject that. We Christians champion justice. We want justice. We want right to prevail and right to be done. Now, it was Noam Chomsky who said, if you want to start a revolution, come up with a slogan that nobody can reject. Okay? So this morning, we want to look at this topic and answer the question, is social justice and biblical justice compatible? So let me give you the answer up front, and then we can walk through it from there. Social justice is antithetical. Now, if you're like me, you've heard that word, and you go, not sure what that means. What does that mean? I think it means what I, I'm not sure you means what you think it means. So I had to go look it up. So antithetical means this. It is directly opposed or mutually incompatible. Social, social justice is antithetical with Christianity, biblical justice, and a biblical worldview. Okay? That's the premise of what I want to share with you this morning. So let's define social justice. And we're going to look at some scripture. We're going to look at things other people have to say about it, but let's define it this morning. So the cultural understanding of social justice is vague and it's misunderstood. And again, it's a phrase that when we throw out the term social justice, everybody wants social justice. We as believers want that. We want right to prevail, right to be done. The injustice is to be stomped out. But social justice is a very clearly defined construct. It's not just this general idea. It is a clearly defined construct. In fact, the Oxford Dictionary says this of social justice. It's a noun, chiefly politics and philosophy. That ought to tell you something right there. Justice, it, it, it is justice at the level of a society or state as regards to possession of wealth, commodities, opportunities, and privileges. 
It also says, uh, also see distributive justice. Now, William Young, as a former assistant secretary for nuclear energy, defines social justice in his article, Academic Social Science and Social Justice, as, this is his definition, the state redistribution of advantages and resources. You caught that right. The state, the state redistribution of advantages and resources to disadvantaged groups to satisfy their rights to social and economic equality. So it's state redistribution. Now, there's words that come to mind when I hear state redistribution. I I think of uh, Marxism, which Marxism leads to socialism, which inevitably will lead to uh, communism. But I'm going I'm to just share, as I've studied this out and I've read through it, I, I don't think that, I think there, this has a Marxist background, but I think the ultimate goal of this, and I'm getting way ahead of myself, is not a socialist, communist ideal. It really is a fascist idea. When you start talking about the state redistribution, state control, authoritarian power, that's what we're going to see in this. But what we're not talking about when we talk about this issue of social justice, it's not a heart issue. Uh, Biblically, justice is a heart issue and a law of God issue. So there's some things that we would look at biblically if we're going to talk about social justice, things that are just. Then we would go back to the second stone of the Ten Commandments there in Exodus 20, and we would read in verse 12, it says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God uh, is giving you. Verse 13, you shall not murder. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. That would be the first part of this. It's doing right by our neighbor. Second part of this would be, another part of it is loving your neighbor as yourself. And we think of loving your neighbor as yourself, what comes to mind for me is the Good Samaritan. And it, it would be helping someone who has been done unjustly. It would be us stepping in to help correct that situation, fix that situation, help that, meet that need. And I love the story of the Good Samaritan. He was a Good Samaritan. We don't know the race. We don't know the color. We don't know the, the socioeconomic background or anything of the person who was wronged there. We just know they had been wrong. They had been beaten and robbed and left in a ditch to die. And this good Samaritan, who the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along, so it's the story, you, I, I read it, I make the assumption that's a Jew, and the Samaritan reached across to minister to his neighbor, who was a different race, who they didn't even get along, but he, that was his neighbor. He wanted to fix an injustice. We ought to think that same way, in loving our neighbor as ourselves. It's also about doing the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to walk in. We see that in Ephesians 2.10. God has a plan for our life. He has a plan for your life. And as a believer, there are good works. There are good things. There are right things. There are just things that we should do. But this is defined. So doing justice means following the rule of law, showing impartiality, paying what you promised, not stealing, not swindling, not taking bribes, and not taking advantage of the weak because they are too uninformed or unconnected to stop you. If it goes, listen, if it goes against the law of God, it's unjust. If your heart goes that way, the wrong way, it's unjust. So social justice is about groups, not individuals. And it's about outcomes for groups. That's where we begin looking at this. Now, there's a website, Melinda, this is the website I was telling you about this morning. Uh, it's called New Discourses. And if you want to learn more than you ever wanted to know on this issue, go to this website. It is an apolitical website. It's not a leftist website. It ain't a right-leaning website. This is a website that says we don't want politics involved with this issue. We want to look at this issue and explain this issue. So it digs in deep to the issue. And this is what the website, New Discourses, has to say about social justice. It says social justice 
is the ultimate Trojan horse. Now, most of you in the room understand what that means, what the Trojan horse. If you don't, I'm, I don't have time to explain that. You need to leave here and go look up Trojan horse and understand what that means. But social justice is the ultimate Trojan horse term, where it seems to mean one good thing, as most people would understand it. Again, social justice. It's a, a more fair and equal society, but it actually means something, something else. And that something else is very specific and most, and most people, if they knew what they were encountering, would be unlikely to accept it. The idea advertised by the phrase social justice does not match the ideology, uh, the, uh, the, ideolo the ideology and worldview bearing the seemingly identical name. So there's this phrase social justice and we got an idea and your idea is not wrong of what that is. The problem is the idea and the phrase social justice has been hijacked. That has been changed. And it's a Trojan horse that they use it to come in with this who would be against social justice. And then they unload the, the, the horse. And if, you all, if we all understood what was in the Trojan horse, we wouldn't allow it in. So the, the, the ideology doesn't match and the worldview don't match this, this name of what we would think it means. So social justice, according to this website, social justice means critical social justice. So this is, in fact, an ideology that very aggressively pursues the social, cultural, institutional, and political installation and enforcement the installation and enforcement of a very specific and radical understanding of social justice as derived from various critical theories. There's a lot of critical, when you hear critical studies, you're, you're, that's at the core of this social justice movement. So here are the, some, of the, some of these critical theories, critical race theory, post-colonial theory, queer theory, gender studies, fat studies, disability studies, media studies, critical pedag uh, peda I don't know how to say it, critical teaching theories, okay? I can't pronounce that word. Postmodern, cultural Marxist, post-Marxism, Marxian, new left and neo-Marxian. All of these are studies that they, these are the critical studies that they're using and they're all coming from this critical mindset. Uh, and we're going to understand better what that means in a moment. And their specific analysis of socially constructed dynamics of systemic power. As such, they, and this is the website continuing, as such, they do not necessarily seek to achieve social justice in the broad sense or the sense that many people would assume in the term. Instead, they seek to empower and enforce their particular worldview that revolves around one narrow and authoritarian interpretation of the concept. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Now we find this in churches even today. It goes by names, uh, you know, one of the names is, is Woke Church. And under the banner of justice, it it focuses on equality, diversity, and inclusion. Now, obviously, no Christian, no real, true, born-again Christian would object to the, the, the necessity of justice, equality, diversity, and inclusion. In no way would we object to that. And I would say if you're in this church and you object to that, uh, you, you need to check your faith. You need to check, has God, are you born again? If you're against justice, if you're against equality, if you're against diversity, if you're against inclusion, I don't, I don't know that you're truly a Christian. So this is, these ideals are great and they sound good. The trouble is one of definitions, for the new ideology has significantly changed the meaning of such words. As John Stone Street has said, it's no good having the same vocabulary if we're using different dictionaries. Folks, that's what, that's what we're facing. I've shared that many a time. Even in the issue we addressed last week when we're talking about abortion, the, the, the terms are being hijacked. The meaning of them is not what we think that it is. They've changed the meaning of the words and the meaning of the ideas. 
Words matter. The words we use matter. But more importantly is the definition of those words. Wow, we had a just, Pastor Aaron, what was the word we, we were talking about this week in, in the office? It was in that song. Can you remember the word? Overwhelmed? Was Overwhelmed. So when you think of it, if I say, you know, I was overwhelmed by something, what's the idea that you have? We have this idea of overwhelmed, meaning, uh, you know, I just couldn't stand up to it. It kind of knocked me back. Or, or I was overwhelmed by her beauty, and I was just struck by that. We get that idea, right, of overwhelmed. That's not what it means at all. That's the way we use it. But the word overwhelmed means, if I remember correctly, it means destroy totally, to totally like to do away with it, totally conquer it. And we're, we're like, well, I didn't have that definition of it. Pastor Aaron didn't have that definition of the word. Kristen didn't have the, the definition of, as that. And she looked it up and we're like, wow. So we were like, it doesn't fit in the song. And yet it does fit in the song based on the definition of the word. But maybe it doesn't fit in the song based on the way we use the word today. So definitions of words matter. Amen. It matters. Scott David Allen wrote a book called Why Social Justice is Not Biblical Justice. And it's a book about vocabulary and about carefully distinguishing between two very different uses of the same term. So conformity, when he's talking about biblical justice, here's what he's saying. He's saying it is biblical justice is conformity to God's moral standard as revealed in the Ten Commandments and the royal law, to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and, and it's made up, he would say, of two components. The first being communitive justice, which is living in right relationship with God and others, giving people their due as image bearers of God. And we would agree with that. We believe in communitive justice. We should live that way according to God's law, do right by other people. We love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We do right by everybody else. We do right in those relationships. He also speaks of distributive justice, which uh, impartially, it is impartially rendering uh, judgment, righting wrongs, and meeting or meting out punishment for lawbreaking. It is reserved for God and God-ordained authorities, including parents in the home, elders in the church, teachers in the school, and civil authorities in the state. And he says, having done that and having admitted that there is no hope of living within a perfectly just society on this side of eternity, he offers some hallmarks of societies that are uh, more just than others. So here's some hallmarks of just societies, societies that are doing justice as best as we can in a fallen world. He said they acknowledge a transcendent lawgiver. You know, today we got folks that say there is no God. They, re they respect the rule of law. We got folks out here rioting and stealing and, and, and pushing to defund the police because there's no respect for a rule of law. They acknowledge human dignity and God-granted human rights. We talked about abortion last week. There is, no, uh, there is no dignity for human life there. There's no God-granted human rights in some people's minds that are pushing for abortion. They don't stand for that. Here's another hallmark. They provide checks on, on corruption, not political double standards. Okay? They establish due process, and they entrust final judgment to God. Now, we re recognize most of these as the hallmarks of Western nations, um, though, of course, none have been able to deliver on them fully and completely. Now, I would say every one of those are hallmarks of our society in America, and yet we haven't perfectly done that in America. We are far from perfect. Why? Because we're a fallen nation made up of fallen people, of sinful people. Amen. So, it, but th th these are things that we are striving for as a society, and, and and if you've read much about social justice and those things I just mentioned, you recognize that its advocates wish to do away with many of these very hallmarks that we talk about. They don't want those things recognized. Now, Allen, in his book, he turns to this this modern day definition or redefinition of justice, which he describes as follows: deconstructing traditional systems and structures deemed to be oppressive and redistributing power and resources from oppressors to their victims in the pursuit of equality of outcome. Okay? So he says that it is obsessed. Social justice, the social justice movement, it's obsessed with power, privilege, oppression, and victimization. 
It uses pragmatic tactics to cow dissenters into submission. What happens today? You're a racist. If you say something that that group doesn't like, you're a racist. And that's designed because how do you fight that? Well, I don't want to be a racist. I don't want to be tagged a racist. I'm not a racist. So I don't want somebody to think I'm a racist. So they use that and they cow people into submission to what they're doing. It, it, it fixates on identity markers such as class, race, gender, and sexual orientation. It is openly hostile to Judeo-Christian religion. It is militant against the natural family and, and traditional sexuality. And it, and it focuses on the redistribution of wealth and power by means of a powerful state apparatus. Remember um, fascism? That's what fascism is. It's that strong authoritarian, we're going to tell you what to do, how to do it, and, and that's the idea, is this strong, authoritative, authoritarian government that is designing and defining these structures of our society. The ancestor, the ancestor of this ideology was what he calls Marxism 101, but with that ideology... Uh, uh, Publicly and horrifically failing, it was redesigned as Marxism 2.0. When you look at Marxism, it's failed everywhere in the world. So it's amazing to me all these people who want socialism, and yet you can't point to one place in the world where socialism is a good thing, where it's worked well. It's, it's destructive. It's harmful. It's, it usually ends in the death of a lot of people. So the focus of the, the first, Marxist, Marxism 101, was on the, the focus was on the oppression of workers by the wealthy landowners and capitalists. And that was easy in a, in a society that then really was the haves and the have-nots. It's easy then to, go to, put, to pit the working class, you know, the, the workers against those who owned everything. The second, now, now here's what happened. They realized, I'm ahead of myself, let me go, just go back. The focus of the second is the oppression of marbled, marginalized uh, identities by the white, patriarchal, heterosexual, male hege he he uh, he hegemony. That's another hard word. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Hegemony. And that just means a structure that's set up to... So I set up a structure and I want the structure to protect me. So I set the structure up and that's what they're, they're saying. And yet they say that's what America is. And yet that's exactly what they're trying to make America to be is this hegemony that will protect their ideology and, and what they want to push. Uh, and it's all about power and control and redistribution of wealth and all that. And so Allen describes social justice as a worldview. And that's important to understand. Now, any worldview, well, we could stop right there because any worldview that conflicts with our worldview, with the Christian worldview, is antithetical to what we believe. Amen. But let's, let's go further. So where, do, where does this all come from? And I've shared this before, but let's kind of review. Um, Marxism, and you know Marxism, we just talked about that. It pits the, the haves against the have-nots in, 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 uh, in, in, in this ideas that, that, that turned into communism. But, and that's where the Bolshevik Revolution came from, was the revolution that was stirred up because of the working class that did not have, they rose up against those who did. And, and what happened in the 30s, the Marxists were establishing this school and this school of thought there in Germany, and the, the, the Germans, the Nazis, actually ran them out of the country. They, they got rid of them and ran them out, and they ended up here in America. They're, I think it was Columbia University may have been where they were. But they're, they're in these American universities, and they're developing these ideas, and they understand this, that Marxism, the, the idea of that could never bring revolution to America because there was a middle class in America. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a hard sale to tell people you're oppressed and, and they've got everything and you have nothing when people are not in poverty, they didn't feel oppressed, and they have opportunity. And that's what you have in the middle class in America. You have people who see the opportunity. They're making the most of that. And so they knew they could never achieve Marxism here in that regard to push it that way, to sell it that way, because of the American dream. So they understood they had to change the focus of the Marxist ideology. So in the late 70s and 80s, they developed this thing called critical race theory and it grew out of critical legal theory. And it placed an emphasis on grouping individuals into categories and calling for additional rights and public benefits to be given to minority ethnic groups. And that practice today is what we would call identity politics. 
And it's all about identifying, you know, we come into America. Now, I hear people say America's a melting pot. I disagree. I don't think America's ever been a melting pot, but I think we make a really good bowl of vegetable stew. Here's, here's the reason why. People can come in. If you come in and you do the American thing, you conform into the American culture. But you still maintain. The, the Hispanic culture still has its culture. The black community still has its culture. If you're from Ireland, you still have your culture. And that's the great thing about it. You look in a pot of vegetable soup, and you can identify each one of the things in it. But it all together makes a wonderful thing. Amen? That's the beauty of it. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't want us to, to get along and be in here together. They, they realized if we start to pit people against each other. I mean, they can take it all the way down to you know, even height. Because if you, you know, they're, they're, I just finished a fascinating book that says if you're ta- the taller you are, the more opportunities you have. It doesn't matter what color you are. It don't matter your background. Height is actually, it, it's actually, there are benefits that come to that. The CEOs, the study on CEOs of major companies, most of them are 6'3 or taller. I think about the pastor down at First Baptist Orlando. He's tall. If any of y'all know him, he's like 6'2", 6'3", 6'4". So there's something to that. Now, does that mean that someone who's shorter doesn't have opportunity? Does that mean they, they, they don't work and they have opportunity? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But in this theory, it would go, uh, you're oppressed because you're shorter. Oh, you're oppressed because you, you, have, you have really long hair or you have this color hair or your eyes are that color or, you know what, your skin is that. It begins to pit people against each other based on, you know what, if, if Cliff's got more money than I do, he's an oppressor. I'm oppressed. I don't have what Cliff has. I'm oppressed and he's the oppressor. And that's a, that's a, that's a very simplified definition of, of how that works, but it is class divisions. It is identifying these different groups within a, within a culture. So critical race theorists reject the idea that people should be judged based on their character, insisting they be judged instead only on their identities, rejecting the civil rights era notion of colorblindness. Now, I'm going to say this. We Christians are not to be colorblind. I think that's a disingenuous statement to say, well, I don't see color. You don't see color? I mean, even if you're colorblind, you see color. You you see shades. So, but that's, I don't think that's a Christian virtue to go, I'm colorblind, because you know what? My God's not colorblind. Let's look at, you know, we're, we're not to be prejudiced or discriminating or racist. Amen? Do I get a good amen there? We're not to be that. There will be, the scriptures tell us that there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation in heaven. Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll, scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Everybody's going to be there. That the, the salvation is available, available to all. And we, we ought to be caring about all people. I, you know what, one of the things that grieves me, and, and, and I, I, I talk about this with other pastors and stuff, and they talk about the diversity in their church. I pray for more diversity in our church. I pray for it. And, and so let me just publicly say this. If this church is racist, y'all let me know. Because I'll resign today. I won't pastor a racist church. And if you are a racist, get your heart right or go find a racist church because we don't want you here. Is that clear? Preacher, you're being hard. God sees people and so should we, or, or God sees color and so should we, and we should value every color. You know, red and yellow, black and white. All are precious in this sight. Amen? We should value that. I, 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 I would hate. Now, one of my favorite things is vanilla bean. Briar's vanilla bean ice cream. I love that. You can do a lot of things with just plain old vanilla bean ice cream. You can do a lot with it. But how boring a world would it be if all we had was Briar's vanilla bean ice cream? I like Neapolitan. I, I like the Rocky Road. I like that. You know what? The nuts in there make it interesting. <laughs> Amen. Y'all take from that what you what you want. <laughs> the nuts in there keep it interesting. Okay. 
So listen, we, 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 need to, we need to, when we act like I don't see color, that's disingenuous. We shouldn't judge by color. We shouldn't make prejudgments and predeterminations and prejudices based on a color or a, a, a hair color or an eye color or any of that. Height, none of those things. We shouldn't. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So we ought to see people. And when we see people, we ought to see them one of two. There's only two ways that we should be concerned with, two things that we're looking at. Do they know the Lord Jesus Christ or do they not know the Lord Jesus Christ? That's all that matters, folks. That's it. That's the only thing we should be concerned with. And we should be wanting them to know Jesus Christ. So what is this critical race theory? Critical race theory is a perspective on modern life. It's a worldview that believes all the events and ideas around us in politics, education, entertainment, and the media, the workplace, and beyond must be explained in terms of racial identities. Under critical race theory, every policy idea, every election, Textbook, movie, news report, work environment, and local concern cannot be judged according to effectiveness, quality, or accuracy, but according to whether minority individuals and issues are afforded more influence in everyday life. Even today, even we see even George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and the U.S. Constitution itself are subject to being canceled out of American culture, such, uh, such as being removed from the names of public schools for, for failing to live up to the standards set under critical race theory. So the result is an all-encompassing worldview that claims to reveal hidden power structures behind, uh, behind society's problems and institutions by dividing people along the lines of oppressed and oppressor. And that's the idea. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump ahead a little bit because I've gone through, if you want more information on critical race theory, understand there's two things you need to understand about that. There are, there are two powers. And those who have power, uh, there are the oppressed and the oppressors. And there are those who have power and those who don't. So the ones who have power always oppress those who don't. And everyone can be divided into two groups, those who have power and those who don't. And so then they define who has power and who has, uh, does not. And in today's setting, the critical race theory, folks, social justice movement is purely a racist entity. It's a racist organization. Because if you are a if you are, you are the, the, the greatest oppressor, if you are a white, male, heterosexual, cisgender Christian. There's a couple others you can throw in there too. But that's primarily it. And if you're that, you're a racist. And, and if you say you're not a racist, then you're just, you're denying it. You don't even really understand it that you're a racist. You just are because you are white. And I'll just say this, and, and I, I, it, it, to say that someone is a racist simply because of their color, that's foolishness at best. It's very dangerous. But folks, there's racism in every race on the face of this earth. There's racism from every race to every other race. There's racism within the black community of fairer-skinned blacks, racist against darker-skinned blacks, and vice versa. Look, we find it everywhere because racism is not a skin issue. It is a, it's a sin issue. It's a heart issue. It's exactly what it is. And so the, the answer to this is a changed heart. It is a heart that has been changed by the power of God Almighty. And so when we, when we understand that and we look at critical race theory, we understand that this is, this, by definition, by definition, it's racist. Listen to what a racist is. What is racism? Oxford says it's prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership in a particular race, or racial or ethnic group. Now it goes on and says typically one that is a minority or marginalized. Typically. Okay. I can understand that if the numbers are there. Someone, that, that's how that typically happens. But to say 
that because, Cliff, you are a white, male, heterosexual, Christian, cisgender, you are automatically an oppressor. That is a racist judgment. Webster says racism is a belief that race is a fundamental determinant of human traits and capacities and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. That's what, that's what racism believes. And yet that's exactly what critical race theory does. Judges based on race. You are oppressed or are you an oppressor? And, and, it, and it digs deep. So they, this whole group, they, they achieve, they, they seek to achieve social justice, again, defined as the redistribution of advantages and resources to disadvantaged groups to satisfy their rights to social and economic equality. So they seek, social justice seeks equity, not equality. Now, equality is a biblical issue. The, the ground, folks, is level at the foot of the cross. The need for everyone that's ever been born is the same need. The need for a Savior. Access to the Savior is available to every person. There is no discrimination there. Every person has the opportunity to come to Christ. But that is the need that we all have. That is equality. See, equality has to do with equal opportunity under the law. There were a time in our country I'd say we didn't have that. There were some things that were against that. Today, I'm not sure that's the case. We have equal standing under the law. But they're not looking for equality. They're not looking for an equal starting point. They're looking for equity. Now, equity means equal outcomes, Everyone gets the same outcome. Everyone gets the same. And it doesn't matter what you do on the front side. But the scriptures say if a man won't work, he ought not eat. But they would say everybody, everybody, regardless of what you do, everybody should get the same thing. And you should have the same thing. That's kind of the idea here. So when you talk about equality uh, versus equity, there's actually some lawsuits that are going on right now. I think it's with Harvard and Yale where here's what equality says. We're going to do an entrance exam, and we're going to take the best. Those that score best on that entrance exam will, be, will, will enter into school. What they found was they were given this entrance exam, and they were finding that there were more Asians. The Asians were blowing it out of the park. And so the Asians were doing well, and they were coming into, they were coming into Harvard and Yale, and they were, they were finding as they're studying outcome, and they're going, wait a minute, wait a minute, this ain't right. This is not equitable. There are more Asians than there are black students. And, or there are more Asians than there are. I'm, I'm like, well, you know what? You know what it is? If you go back and you study the culture and you study the backside and look at why is that? It's because family is strong in those communities. Because hard work is valued in those communities. As they studied and found that they study for hours more a day than other students. Wow, it might have something to do with opportunity, Equal opportunity, and they applied, and they got in. But no, 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 no. Now Harvard and Yale are being sued because there's too many Asian students in there. That's racist. So when you think about this whole subject, social justice, you think about climate change. All right, it used to be, what was it? It used to be um, global cooling. Then it was global warming. And, and then, you know, it's global warming and we got the harshest winters ever. So oh, that doesn't work anymore. So it became glo- uh, climate change. Well, now you'll even hear this. You'll hear, you'll hear uh, climate justice. That's the term that's coming. So it's climate justice. And it really is this. It's take from the rich, the oppressor. Take from the rich. Because the rich, if you have, you're always the oppressor and the poor is the oppressed. So you take from the rich, the oppressor, and give it to the poor, the oppressed. So even in the climate, if... It, just I'm, I'm talking politics here, but I believe it's truth. The whole climate change thing ain't about climate. They worry about a planet. They worry about taking resources from somebody who's got it and giving it to others who don't. They're going to take from, from the poor. They're going to take from those who don't have it to give in a rich country and give it to those who are rich in a poor country is what's ultimately going to happen. That's my cynical side coming out. But if you study it out, I think I, you'll find I'm right. So climate change isn't about cl- climate change. It ain't about climate. It's about wealth. 
change. It's about wealth redistribution. It's about power. So these structures, we see that, that what they are. So again, by definition, this whole critical race theory and all this is racist. It's racist. So social justice, in the way I'm going to wrap this up now, social justice and critical race theory are antithetical with biblical justice. There's, it, there's no part of this, what, what this idea of social justice, this thing that's out there right now, this critical race theory, no part of that is, is a part of the gospel. They're, 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 you know, our seeking justice is a result of the gospel's impact in our life. Amen? We, we want justice. As a church, folks, we want justice. If there's something that's unjust, someone's been done wrong, we want to help make that right. But it's not, it's not a part of the gospel. Our seeking justice is because of the gospel's impact in our life. Social justice is not in the New Testament passages on the gospel. It's not part of the spiritual part of the gospel. It's not part of the Old Testament scriptures about, uh, about, of the gospel. It, 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 you know, we are to care for anyone and everyone that's been treated unjustly. That's what we do as believers. But social justice, this social justice movement is anything but in line with our biblical worldview. It promotes sin and sinful behavior. It embraces homosexuality. Listen, I, I just, I, I've said this before. If someone who is homosexual comes in here and they're willing to sit and listen, praise God. If they come in here and they want to flaunt their homosexuality over everybody and they want to hang all over each other in the service, we want to address that. Because if you've been married 40 years and you come in here and you're hanging all over each other in the service... I'm going to address that too. <laughs> now, if it's me and Gina, it's okay. But if anybody else, it's like, bleh. It's just, bleh, you know. But it promotes sin. It embraces that sin. It embraces sexual sin. It embraces covetousness and stealing. It encourages it encourages lying and false testimony. It encourages violence. If you don't think the riots from a year, year and a half ago are because of this and what's being pushed, you got, you, you're living under a rock. And you, 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 you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Here's the worst part of it. What I see with this social justice movement is the victimization part. Folks who maybe have less in life, folks who have struggles... Here's what happened. You're a victim. 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 And it's someone else's fault. Nothing in your life is your fault. Folks, I would, I would imagine if we went around this room, everybody in this room has been done dirty by somebody else. Everybody in here, you've been abused, you've been used, you've been hurt, you've been stolen from, you've been lied to. There has been some injustice done to you. Amen? Amen. Because that's part of living in a fallen world. And it's always going to be a part of that. But when we make someone a victim and it's not your fault, then what we're doing is we excuse their behavior, we excuse their actions, it's not your fault, and we excuse their sin. And what happens is this pushes them away from the, the one and only hope that they really have, and that is to come to Almighty God and confess their sin and turn from their way and turn to Christ for salvation. That's the only hope that any of us have. And when they're a victim and they're pushed away from that, it's not your fault. They would never take responsibility and acknowledge, you know what, you're right, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Then maybe the, the greatest danger in all of this is really a pushing away from God. And it's an anti-God worldview. So the bottom line with this, and some would say, why in the world would you take a Sunday morning to communicate this? Because, folks, I don't. Th this is everywhere now. This is infiltrating every area of our lives. And we as believers better understand the issues. When folks say we shouldn't be involved in politics and all those things, I disagree. 
Now, I don't, I'm not going to get up here and talk about Democrat, Republican, because they all stink to me. It's politics. Poly, many, ticks, blood-sucking creatures. <laughs> it's what it is. But when they get in the realm of spiritual and moral issues, we need to be involved. And we need to understand the issues so that we're not caught up in something and folks go, oh man, that's a great thing. Let's jump on board with that train. Let's get on the train there. And you've got to understand that the train of social justice is hooked up to critical race theory. And it's hooked up to this. And it's hooked up to that. And it's hooked up to that. And you go, all of a sudden you realize, wow, I, I, I don't need to be associating with this, this group. They, they don't believe what I believe. They don't stand for what I stand for. So Pastor Aaron, you and the team can come. It's a heavy issue, I guess. Um, it's not my favorite thing to preach on a Sunday morning and talk about. But we need to be aware, we need to understand that this, what is going on in our country today with this does not line up with our biblical worldview. It does not line up with Scripture. It does not line up with what God has told us. And therefore, we need to be uh, on guard. We need to be careful with that. This morning... We're going to have a time of, of reflection, time of, uh, we, we call it an invitation or a reflection or uh, just for you to, to, to think about what we've talked about. And so the altar's open. Here's what I know. I, I've seen times where somebody preached on money, a preacher preached on money, and somebody come down and get saved. The Holy Spirit of God works. And we're talking about social justice this morning. But what you might realize this morning, because the Holy Spirit of God's working in our midst, is that this morning, you know what? I don't know the Lord Jesus as my Savior. And I need to be saved. I need to be born again. I, I need to come and meet Jesus face to face. And so this, this morning as we go into this invitation time, if that's you, if you've never confessed your sin to the Lord, you've never repented and turned from your sin and called on the name of the Lord for salvation, I invite you this morning. Don't wait. When the music starts, I invite you to step out. Step out. Come down here. Let me or, or, or one of our guys take the Word of God and introduce you to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. He's done all the work. He's done everything that needs to be done. And you go, what do I need to do? You need to believe. You need to put your faith in Christ. God's calling you this morning to do that. Maybe this morning you, you, you just, you know what, we're three, four weeks into the new year. I guess we're three weeks in now. And the Lord's just still speaking to you about, about where you're at. Maybe this is a good time to come to the altar and just talk to the Lord about where you're at, where you're going, what you're going to do for Him this coming year. Maybe there's something in your life that you need to just need to turn over to Him, something you've been holding on to that you know He doesn't want you to hold on to. And you know you don't need to hold on to it. Maybe this morning's a good time to just surrender all to Him. Father, bless this invitation now.